You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. He is risen. In today's message, we continue with the final week of our Easter series as we've just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Pastor Josh is drawing from Luke's account of the resurrection in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. It's our prayer that the Holy Spirit would challenge and change us as we study God's word together. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter 28? That will be the text that we are looking at today. And as you are turning there, I just want to to start this service. I think we know uh, how to do this, but let's just check and see. Generally, on Resurrection Day, we gather. There's some things said. There's some things said back. Let's just see. He is risen. You guys are stellar. Thank you so much for choosing to be a part of worship today here at Broadmoor. Uh, Thank you for watching online, for those who are watching right now. Uh, There is something I would love to ask for you to do. Right in front of you in your chair back, there should be like a a QR code, or maybe if you're sitting on the edge, uh, there's something kind of stuck to the wall, or maybe on the screens right here to my left and to my right. This is going to be a way for us to get to know you a little bit more. Here's a way for us to do that. You simply take out your phone. You can pull open your camera. Don't take a picture of it. That's not how that works. You hold the camera over this place. A link will pop up. Click that link and it's going to go to the connection center. Okay. I want you to press connect card and in that card, you're going to have some options there. The options are going to be, how do we get to know you? How can we pray for you? Do you have a need today that, that potentially as a church we could meet? We would be honored to do that. But here's my encouragement to you. Many of you, this is your home. This is where you do life week in and week out, and we are blessed to serve alongside of you. But for many of you, this is maybe your very first time in this room, or you've been here a couple of times, and you think, maybe I could be a part of this church. Maybe this is a place where where God is leading me. I wonder if they have something that would tell me more about their church. We do. If you would go ahead and go to this Connect Center and click the Connect card, there's an opportunity for you to find out information about this Connections Brunch we're going to do next Sunday, and it is going to be at the 1045 Life Group Hour, okay? So we, our typical services are at 930, our worship services at 930, and then at 1045 we have Life Groups. Well, for all of those who want to be a part of that Connections Brunch, we would love for you to join us. Uh, we can have as many people as you would like to bring or, or for you and your family to come and join. We just need to know that you're coming so we can prepare. It is going to be a great opportunity for you to hear from myself, from our staff, um, from, from the ministry of the church. What is our mission and vision and values? So you can decide prayerfully if this is the place that God is leading you and your family. We would love for you to join us at Connections Lunch next week. So please, please take some time today and go to that Connection Center Connect card and then let us know that you're going to come to that brunch. It is going to be absolutely fantastic. All right, we get to dive into the good stuff today. For three straight weeks, we have been in a sermon series called The Cup. Uh, for those who have been, been along, you, you know that this is going to be week three, and, and this hopefully is the culmination moment uh, of this sermon series. But if you haven't been here with us over the last two weeks, let me catch you up pretty quickly. Right before I took the stage, you heard a voiceover, and you saw a picture of a cup. And it was Jesus praying in the garden right before Judas comes to kiss him on the cheek to betray him, and the soldiers arrest him to take him away. He is bowed before the Father... 
And he prays a prayer that's unique to all of Scripture. He says, Father, if there could be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not let my will be done, but yours. And so the very first week, two weeks ago, we looked at that scripture in Luke, and when we had to ask the question, what had to be in that cup? What was it about that cup that would cause God the Son to go to God the Father and ask him to remove that? Like, like what, what would it be for, for God the Son to go to God the Father and say, I want something different than what you planned for this is too much? And so it's in that day that we went all the way back in the Old Testament to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25 is, is where we begin to see this cup imagery unfold. Jeremiah is a prophet. He was known as the, the weeping prophet. And for many reasons, it had to do with the cup because his mission was to take the cup of the wrath of God, is what Jeremiah 25 tells us, and to go to all the nations and make them drink. And no one would be able to withstand it, and no one would be excluded from it. And so he was tasked to go. Why did they have to drink the cup, starting with Jerusalem and then to all the other nations? Why did all have to drink? For it is the weight of sin that causes wrath of God to come. And so because of the sinfulness of man, God's wrath was going to be poured out on all mankind. And so then last week, when we gathered for Palm Sunday, we looked at Jesus on the cross. And we saw in his very last words on this side of eternity, he yells out from the top of his lungs one word in Greek, three words known to us in English language. The Greek word is tetelestē. The words that we know them by is, it is finished. Well, what was finished in that moment? Was it, was it the crucifixion that was finished? Was it the beatings that were finished? Although those things were bad and hard, that was not the weight of that moment for Christ. It was the cup that he prayed the Father to take away. But the Father decided that he must drink, and the Son was obedient. And it was in that moment that he finishes the entirety of the cup. And the wrath of God that once filled that cup is now gone. And so with Jesus, one loud cry, with his last and final breath, he yells to the Father and to the whole world, it is finished. Meaning there is no more wrath for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why, now if you are journeying with us in our sermon series that's been going on for about a year now, we're going through Romans. And that's why Romans 8.1 is so powerful. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ drank the wrath of God and there's no more condemnation to be given out. That's good news. But the people gathered around the cross on that first day. They didn't quite know what to tell us they meant. When he yells, it is finished, surely their thought had to be, oh no, it's over. Because it won't be long after that that they take his dead body off of a cross and they put him into a borrowed tomb and they roll a stone in front of it and it's in that moment that all of their hopes and dreams for their life seem to be gone. And they don't know what to do with what they're experiencing. Seemingly grief-stricken beyond belief. And everybody goes back to an old way of life. We've looked a couple of Easter's back, but if you go to John 21, you see where Peter kind of gets his brothers and says, I'm going fishing, who wants to go? To the very thing that Jesus called them away from, he, they go back. 
Everybody seems to scatter because they don't quite know what to do with what they have. But then comes Easter morning. In comes where we begin today in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to, to look there. And we pick up early that Sunday morning. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So this one verse gives a lot of insight on Easter and, and Sunday morning worship as we know it, right? So the Sabbath was sundown on Friday, Jewish day, Jewish calendar day, begins at sunset. So, so Friday night, good Friday night at sunset is the Sabbath start. That's why it was such a big deal when, when the sky went dark from noon to three, Jesus takes his last breath at three o'clock. There's a short time before the Sabbath begins, and, and they wanted to make sure that there were no bodies up to defile the Sabbath on that day. So the Sabbath starts at sundown, and it's going to run to the next sundown. And so then we have the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. So early in that morning, we see the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it says, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, close to sunrise of the first day, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb of Jesus. And what they are doing, because we can read the other gospels and uh, get a better understanding, is they're going to better prepare his body for burial. Everything on Good Friday happens so fast. They didn't get a chance to, to even properly bury Christ. And so they are going early in that morning before anybody is awake and moving around to go and prepare his body. But just a question. This is, this is completely a side note. As I read this, you read it critically. Uh, do you think Mary, uh, the, the chosen and blessed mother of Christ, had some words for Luke, the, the author of this gospel, when she got to heaven? And the only reason I ask that is because Mary Magdalene gets a full name. It's kind of like she gets full credit, and then the other one gets the other Mary. You think she shows up and says, hey, Luke, I need a word, man. I, 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 don't, I don't know how it plays out. That has nothing to do with the significance of this day. It is just something that in Luke's gospel, Luke, Luke is the medical doctor of all the guys. Like, like he's the one who is most meticulous. He's the one who's going to end up writing the book of Acts, and she gets the other married. Just, I'm just saying, there's probably a conversation that happened. But anyway, the two Marys are at the tomb. Early in the morning, grief-stricken as they were, and all of a sudden, verse 2, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. All right, so anytime you read about an earthquake in, in scriptures, you, you are essentially witnessing the presence of God descend down and be in the presence of sinful man. So, so there's a, an earthquake. Why? Because an angel of the Lord descends from heaven, comes and rolls back the stone and sits on top of it. Now, church, listen to me. I know that you have probably read this account a hundred times. And if you've not read it, you've heard it a thousand times. Please listen to me. With all that I am, I'm begging you that even in this day, in this moment, but every time you read the scripture, attempt to not be inoculated by the familiarity of this text. 
of this account, of the story of the resurrection, I would pray that we are in awe as if we were reading it for the very first time. Put yourself in the Mary's shoes. As they are walking up, Jesus' mom, Mary Magdalene, they walk to the tomb to prepare. Grief is all over them. They don't know where to turn. And then all of a sudden, there's an earthquake that shakes the ground. There's some guards who are standing there. The stone rolls back and something sits down on top of the stone. Verse 3, his appearance was of lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on angels and what they look like. Many of us grew up in the precious moments era, did we? I don't think that's accurate. I don't think they look sweet and kind or like little fat babies with wings on them. Like there's, there's got to be something to this because every time we see an angel manifest on earth in the scriptures, their very first words are, do not be afraid and get up. I don't think they look cute and chubby babies flying around with angel wings. To the point though. This angel descends, the earth shakes, the stone rolls away, and he sits down on top. And so, verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who who was crucified. The angel tells the women, don't be afraid, for we know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, I think as we read this and we understand that the crucifixion narrative, no doubt for all who were on Golgotha, on that Friday, the place where where Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves, on that, that spot of ground, no doubt there was a lot going on for everybody who witnessed it. It was almost as if we read the Gospels as if when Christ cries out, it is finished, and he hangs his head and he gives his spirit up to the Father, that it was like a veil is lifted on the eyes of the people. This is people begin to weep and they hang their heads and they beat their chest on the way home. And it wasn't just a few hours prior that they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But what this tells us, as we read it critically and and we, we infer from the text, the people at Golgotha weren't the only ones who witnessed the crucifixion. All of heaven witnessed the crucifixion. Can we imagine what that must have been like in that day of glory as they watched and they saw God the Son, the Son of Man, die to drink the full wrath of God and to give up his spirit. What a day that must have been in glory. For for what he says is, you don't need to fear. For the Jesus who was crucified is not. We'll see this in a minute. But notice, the, the ladies got a don't fear. The guards didn't. There's very real reason for the guards to to have become like dead men. Here's another point of clarity. I want to be crystal clear on this, okay? Those who are in Christ are no longer enemies of the kingdom of God. That is the reason when an angel appears, a warrior of the Lord appears, there's no reason to be afraid because we're on the same team. But for those who are not on that team, for those who are 
or not trusting their life to Christ, those who are not living for the glory of God, those who who would be adversaries to, to God and his will, there is great need to fear what they were seeing. That's why they didn't get a do not fear. They were still enemies of God and God's kingdom. Fear is a very real and right response for any enemy of God. But the angel goes on with the implication. Not only should you not fear him, the angel, but you should not fear the reality of the crucifixion. Why? There was so much to fear. The person that they committed their lives to is dead. He was brutally murdered right before their eyes, and life as they knew it came to a screeching halt. For three and a half years, they followed this man, and with every day, hope built in him. Then over the course of just a few hours, he's gone. Why not fear the crucifixion? Verse 6, for he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So, so the, the message is this. He's not dead. He's alive. Come and see for yourselves. And so once they see the, the empty tomb themselves, the angel then sends them out on a mission. This is what the angel tells them, verse 7. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going to Galilee. And you will see him. See, I've told you. All right, so, so the, the mission is run as fast as you can to tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And the Marys get a promise, and he says, he is going before you to Galilee, and that's where you are going to see him. So not only is he not in the tomb, not only has he been risen from the dead, but there's a promise that they're soon going to see him in the flesh. Can you imagine? Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mom, in the depths of their grief have been just told that Jesus is alive. Where there was death, there is now life. With every step, there's new hope, new wonder, new excitement building. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. So they take off with two feelings. Fear? You you bet. This is real fear. What does this mean? What's going to happen? What, what, what's it going to look like when we see him? And great joy, he is alive. We are going to see him. And they are running with all that they are. And then all of a sudden, verse 9, and behold. Anytime you see behold in the scripture, it's kind of like, look. It, 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 it grabs you by the shirt and says, look, look what's happening. Look, behold. Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Jesus stopped them in their tracks. And with Jesus standing in front of them, in essence, he says, hey, again, I know we've heard this story countless times. What would you do if you were there? What would your response be for for the man that you have trusted your life to? You believed that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, but he died, but now he's not dead, and now he stands. What do you do? What these ladies did is they threw their arms around his feet and they worshiped him. And I believe that is the most perfect response that any of us could have. Now, for us, I want to be clear because there, there, maybe you've never thought about this, but, but certainly I'll, I'll plant the question in your mind today. If the Sabbath day is Saturday, 
Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. That's the Sabbath day. And the Bible tells us to to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Then why do we as Christians not worship on Saturday, but on Sunday? What was the switch? We don't have a real mandate from Scripture to say, hey, switch your, your services one day over. What what is the difference? Where do we get our picture of Sunday morning worship from? Here. That it's in this moment that on Sunday morning, Jesus has risen from the grave, and the only right response to that is to throw ourselves at his feet and to cling to him and to worship him. That is why we worship on Sunday. But here's the beauty for the Christian. Resurrection Sunday doesn't happen just one day a year. It is every day of our lives. Jesus is king and he is raised from the grave every single day. But that should mean something for us. And you're going to see where it means something to them. Look at verse 10. And Jesus said to them, familiar words in the last few moments for these ladies. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there I will see them. So after worship, listen, see if this makes sense to you in the way that we try to order worship here at Broadmoor, but also here across the Big C Church around the world. After worship, they're sent out on a mission with a comforting command. So Jesus says to them, after they worship, after they grab his feet and they worship him, he says, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and I will see them there. So they get the the, the command of comfort. Don't be afraid. You're going to hear more about why this is so important in just a moment. But he says, go and tell those closest to Christ to go to Galilee, and that's where they're going to see him. So the Marys went and did exactly what what, what Christ told them to do. The disciples listened exactly how the Marys told them. They went to Galilee, and something incredible happened. Now we're going to skip ahead just a few verses. I want you to go to verse 16 in Matthew 28. So we've just had this moment where the Marys are at the tomb. They meet the angel. The angel sends them off. They see Christ. They worship him. Christ picks them up and sends them out on mission with with a, a comforting promise. And here's where we pick up. Evidently, they have told the brothers, and the brothers have listened exactly as they were told. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So so what we see here is the 11 disciples listened to the instructions very specifically from the Marys and went to Galilee. They went to the mountain that they were directed to go, and it was there in the exact spot, in the exact way that Jesus had instructed him that they saw him. What was their response? They worshipped him. But some doubted. The the word here, doubt, isn't isn't the word for unbelief. We we know, maybe you've heard this before, uh, our English language typically has, you know, one word, one meaning. Uh, Sometimes it could be a couple of other meanings. But in the Greek, there's a whole lot of different meanings in words. So so we need to be clear when we do our language study. And so when it says, and, and some doubted, it wasn't like they didn't believe that was him. It's more they hesitated. They were taking it all in. They were frozen by what they saw. But they worshiped. Now, this is going to be huge, okay? 
Both responses seem fair for those who didn't question anything, but again threw themselves down and worshiped him. And for the others who were hesitant, those who would say, this is just a lot to take in. Both responses seem fair in this moment, but it says they worshiped. All of them worshiped. But I I want you to see something beautiful. No matter their response, no matter their posture of worship, they were greeted with a statement of assurance and given a life-changing mission. Here was the statement of assurance. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, again, again, listen, I know, I know we hear that a lot when we do Great Commission talks. When we, when we preach on the Great Commission, when you are learning about the Great Commission, when you are reading about the Great Commission, don't, don't miss. All authority, all of it, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth now resides in the person of Christ. That's where he starts. So, so as worship is completed, as they, are, as they are finished worshiping him, he tells them, all power and authority in all places, all realms have been given to me. Well, what does that mean? What, what do we do with that knowledge? No doubt it is going through their minds. He is really back. He's alive. He is the Christ. And he's with us. And so if he has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, there's nowhere that we will go as long as that he is with us that we will ever have to fear anything. And so for them, they don't even know what's coming. If we are following the sequence of this, this wording, of the sentence, that, that the reason Christ starts with this is it doesn't really matter what the mission's going to be. They can do anything now. He gives them the ability to go beyond human fear. But what's the call? What's the mission? Now that the cup of wrath is gone and the new cup of Christ's covenant is here, what, what, what happens now that all power and authority has been given to him and he invites them to join him? What is going on? Here is the mission, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is good news, church. Here, here, here's why. Because as we read this again, a lot of times we'll read this and it says, go into all the world. And we think that means like, okay, we need to sign up for a mission trip. Or we need to go sign up for a passport. Or we need to get ready to, to go out of Madison into somewhere else that's not Madison because that would be me going. Well, again, when we read this originally, it has a little bit different meaning, but greatly different implication. It's not plan a mission trip and go. It is as you are going, make disciples. And the implication of this would be as you are going to the market, as you are going to work, as you are going to school, as you are going to play, as you are going in your retirement, if you have breath in your body, you're going somewhere and Christ should be leading you along the way. As you are going, make disciples. Of, of whom? Who, who, who is worthy to hear the good news of the gospel? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And this last part of what Jesus tells them is part of the resurrection message. 
But it's also for them to remember as they embark on this mission. It's also important for us to remember as we embark on our mission. He says, behold, look, look. I am with you to the very end. So we have bookends, bookend promises. All power and authority has been given to me, and I am with you. If that's true, church, what do we have to fear? What would ever stand in our way? If God himself has promised to be with us and never forsake us, and he has all power and all authority, and nothing can stand in our way as we embark on the mission that he has presented to us, what would ever stop us? So what is the mission? Let's, let's be clear on this, okay? The mission is to make disciples of Christ as believers go throughout the world. What's the message we preach? That King Jesus is alive. He has defeated hell, death, and the grave. That Christ our King has all authority in heaven and on earth. And his kingdom is coming. His new covenant is now. And there's an invitation to to come and give your life to the King. For the King will save you from God's wrath. For he has drank it all. He will save you from your sin. He will free you from the dominion of darkness. And he will give you new life and new purpose. But now we get to the true invitation. What what are we being invited into? What did Jesus send his followers out to invite the world into? Now, if you grew up in the Baptist church, If you grew up in an evangelical church, like like meaning you go and proclaim the good news in hopes that people would repent of their sin and put hope and trust in Christ, I would say, church, we are on a great path because I believe that is right. I believe that mankind is damned because of the sin nature that is inside of them, and the only thing that can save them is Christ. But look, yeah, we we give God praise for that. But listen, that's not the end of evangelism. That's just the beginning. Far too often in the church, particularly our denomination of of Southern Baptist churches, we only get there and say, whoo, you've said a prayer. You love Jesus. I'm out. Great job. Welcome to the kingdom. That's not gospel ministry. That's where gospel ministry begins. What are we being invited into? Yes, you are saved from sin, but you are saved to Christ for a purpose and a reason that is greater than anything that we could ever do in and of ourselves. And that's why the call to gospel ministry is so invigorating. Yet there's a reason I believe that so many people are disenfranchised with the church today. It's because they believe that when they were seven, they said a prayer, they love Jesus now, and there's no danger of hell, so I'm just kind of waiting between seven and when I go home to be with the Lord, and now I'm bored. Well, I guess I'll get a job and build my own kingdom, and if Jesus wants to come back or I go be with him, then that's going to be great, but in the in-between time, it's going to be about me. No, no, the gospel tells us it's never about us. The gospel calls us to live for the kingdom that's coming, not the one that's here today. And so today, church family, brothers and sisters, those who are considering giving their life to Christ, here is the invitation for you. Come and join us as we proclaim Christ and we live to advance his kingdom every single day. That's the mission of the church. 
Yes, we want lost to be found. We want sinners to be saved. But we want saved people to be mobilized to the ends of the earth. We want our lives to count for something more than just the here and now. I believe God wants you to have the greatest jobs and the best schools and the fantastic educations that you have. But listen to me, it's not for your good only. It's for his glory and the good of our communities. So this is what I want you to know this morning. Maybe you came here today just to get an encouraging pep talk in hopes of grandma's deviled eggs being really good, but she wasn't going to let you eat them unless you went to church. I understand. I've been there. I ain't mad that grandma made you come. I'm okay with it. But I want you to hear this. God has blessed you for a reason. God has blessed you not so that you can just live and enjoy your life in the here and now, but so you can advance the kingdom with every breath that you have left. I know across this world, everybody is blessed and everybody has fantastic resources. But ladies and gentlemen, we live in Madison, Mississippi, where resources are ridiculously abounding. Hear me out. What if we understood that every single one of those was to be leveraged for the kingdom's advancement? Leveraged for the proclamation of the gospel. Then everything changes because of that. Now, this would be a far cry. If you've been following along in the Cup series, you know this is different than what Jeremiah received in Jeremiah 25. I'll read it for you. Jeremiah 25, verses 15 and 16. This is what it says. This, this was his mission that he was sent out on. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And they will drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. What changed between that call and the call of the Great Commission was the cup of Christ being satisfied. It was the wrath of God that once filled that cup that is now gone because Christ finished it all. What changed? Jesus came out of the tomb is what changed. That's what changed everything for us. Now, before Christ's work on the cross and in the tomb, there was only one reality in this life. And that was sin. I want you to listen carefully. That was sin. And everyone had it. Everyone had it. Everyone has it. And it leads to eternal death. And no one could escape it and no one can escape it. That's the reality outside of Christ. But now there's a new reality. Now there's a new covenant in place that's purchased by the blood of Christ. And here's the invitation here that whoever would come, whoever would repent of that sinful heart, whoever would repent of their sin and put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, they would forever gloriously be saved. So as our worship team comes and we move into a time of response, the question I want to leave with you this resurrection day is what are you going to do with this good news? The choice is yours. You can keep living in the old way. And the old reality where you are the insufficient king, where you are living for the crumbling kingdom, where the same sins that trapped you before continue to kill you today, where your souls exist as an enemy of God and one day will face his full wrath 
for the life of rebellion that you continue to live. Or the new way, the new covenant. Because Christ Jesus is alive. Because he has defeated hell, death, and the grave. Because Christ is king and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Because the kingdom is coming. Because his new covenant is now. You can come and give your life to the king. He will save you from God's wrath. He will save you from your sin. He will free you from the dominion of darkness. And he will give you new life and new purpose. Church, I am begging you with all that I am. Come and join us as we proclaim the Christ and we live to advance his kingdom. Come and trade it all in for something new, something meaningful, something eternally joyful. So now it comes to response time. And for those who may not yet be in the kingdom, for those who have not trusted their life to Christ, that invitation is always open to you. I would love to pray with you about that here. There'll be other ministers here. Look, right out that door, that exit sign right there is called the fireside room. Maybe you don't want to walk down the aisle because there's a whole lot of people here today and that's kind of not your thing. So, so either during this response time or after the response time, when people are walking out, make your way that way. And we would love to pray with you and just talk to you about what it means to surrender your life to Christ. But let me speak to the believers in this room, to the resurrection people in this room, for those who have put their hope and trust in Christ and you have gloriously been born again. Our mission is to proclaim Christ and advance the kingdom. Can I ask you a question? How's that going for you? With all that God has blessed you with, with all the favor that God has given you in your life, what are you doing with it to proclaim Christ and advance the kingdom? This is not a, a guilt and shame moment. You don't hear that. No doubt all of us could be doing more and better than we, than we currently are. But this is the moment of response and decide where we are and what we're going to do. So here's the question for you in this invitation time. If you are not proclaiming Christ as much as you would believe Scripture calls you to do, what's holding you back? Like, like legitimately in your life right now, what stops you from doing that? If you have that answer, what course correction are you going to make to change that? Second part, this is, this is the engagement for the rest of our days. When we live to advance the kingdom, what's stopping you from doing that? What are the things in your life that hinder you from proclaiming Christ and advancing his kingdom? That's what we need to decide today. That's what we need to repent of today. We need, we need to give that up. We say, God, I know this is in the way and I give it up to you today. You are the resurrected king and you are worthy. Here it is. And soon, in just a few moments, we'll pray and we'll end this thing and we'll walk out and you'll get your Easter pictures. Them devil eggs going to be looking at you. It's going to be good. But the mission still remains to proclaim Christ and to advance the kingdom. So let us consider that now as we move into this time of response. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the joy that it is to gather to see so many friends and family in one place. It is a beautiful thing. We get to sing songs that glorify your name, that bring you honor. We get to give tithes and offerings, and, and we're thankful that we get to do that. 
We're thankful that we, we get to hear preaching and we get to respond to it. But Lord, now I pray that you would move across this room in our hearts. For we know the mission that has been set before us, this great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. To proclaim you and to advance your kingdom. What is it, Lord, that's standing in our way? What have we placed that is standing in our way? Show us and give us the boldness to repent and to remove it. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. And we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?